independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Environmentalism isn't just about recycling and saving the planet and doing all these things. At its core, it's about how we have disconnected from our place in nature and how do we find our way back in this crazy, chaotic modern world that we live in today. What does it mean that we may have entered a state of over-civilization? And how is continued automation and artificial intelligence taking over, impacting our humanity and collective well-being? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons and Buns, a community where people meet every day to trade things like clothing, houseplants, furniture, and art. You can check it out first by downloading the app Buns, spelled B-U-N-Z, on your smartphone, and I'll tell you more later. For now, to our conversation with Jennifer Grayson, who's a Los Angeles-based environmental journalist and the award-winning author of Unlatched, The Evolution of Breastfeeding and the Making of a Controversy. She's also the creator and host of the Uncivilized podcast, which is a journalistic exploration of the human rewilding movement. I listened to the show myself and highly recommend it, so definitely check it out if you haven't already. But for now, Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. My love of nature goes really far back. I was not born into an environmentalist family. I'm from suburban Connecticut in New York, which certainly looks bucolic, but it is a suburban existence. And I grew up mostly the 80s. And so there was that whole 80s consumerism lifestyle that I was definitely a part of. But, you know, I was always outside as a child. My mom had had a very close relationship with her grandmother, who had been an immigrant from Russia, who had come over at the turn of the last century, uh, when all of the Russian Jews were expelled from Europe. Mm -hmm. And so my mom had had this really strong sense of the old world instilled in her. And so I always just, I remember hearing from my mom from the time I was really little about how the simple things in life were really important. Go outside, get a good night's sleep every night, eat, you know, simple homemade food. And my mom was had all of these wonderful skills too. She baked bread from scratch and she could sew and she could fix anything and build anything. And so I I kind of had this very simple almost from another time upbringing even amidst all the suburban chaos. And then so the other thing that really brought me into thinking about what we were currently doing to our planet is that I was a really early reader and so I just loved all of those books that kind of took you to 
that were about escaping into the wild. You know, I read My Side of the Mountain and Little House on the Prairie and Island of the Blue Dolphins. And I was super into mythology of all kinds. And I read a lot about Native American mythology. And so I very much, I wasn't really living in the wild, but I I think as a young child, looking back, I almost envisioned that I was living this Mm. sort of nature (laughs) immersed existence, even though now I'm like, well, I I didn't even know how to go camping. I didn't do any real outdoorsy (laughs) stuff other than just play in my backyard. But for me, I always felt very much like, I felt like I was born in the wrong time. Mm. I think many of us feel like that today, this craving to live a different type of life. (laughs) Yes. And I feel it now, and I'm sure you do, living in Los Angeles, where it can sometimes feel like we're living in the apocalypse. Right. And yeah, I've lived in urban areas now for like the past 20 years. And so I do, I really long for that kind of simple bucolic existence. And I think so many of us do just because the world's changed so much since I was a kid. Well, on your podcast, The Uncivilized Podcast, and across your work as an environmental journalist, you really go deep to reflect on this main thesis of how we've been over-civilizing humanity in the past decades. What crystallized this idea for you that we're going overboard, and what are some things you feel that are evident of over-civilization? Yeah, well, that's a big question. So um, maybe just to start back more toward my childhood, the first sense I had that everything was too much was one one of the real turning points for me was that my parents got divorced when I was 10 and we lost everything. My um, Both my parents had to declare bankruptcy. My father disappeared. So I was basically raised by a single mom and my brother and I shared a room and we lived in a little apartment in a little town in Connecticut. I, we shared a room until I was like a junior in high school and we didn't have a lot of things. And it was sort of my first I guess, awakening to how much we consume. Mm. And it's funny because all these horrible things were happening to my family, but I was actually, it was a very happy time because we had everything we needed. We had closeness and we had, you know, great times together and we always had food on the table. And I just started to question this endless pursuit that everyone around me seemed to have for like just more and more and more things. So that's one little nugget in kind of like, my backstory. But, um, you know, in terms of you asked about over civilizing, Mm -hmm. I think one main thread is when I started to write about environmental issues. So kind of glossing over a little of my history, I was actually a musician. So that's what I did through most of my twenties. I was a classically trained singer. And then I transitioned to writing about environmental issues because I had always had this passion for nature and the environment. And I thought, well, why don't I do something with it? As I was writing about environmental issues and, and I was very much involved in like the green movement and and thinking about ways to reduce our waste. I always had this thread from when I was a child of that. I felt like we had really disconnected from the natural world. We had connect, disconnected from this existence we always had for most of our human history. And I always had this nagging feeling, but I couldn't really put a name to it. And then when I wrote my book Unlatched, which very much is about it's a cultural history of breastfeeding, but really at its core is that we've become so disconnected from the natural world and from our human history that we've even disconnected from our own biology, right? That we think it's normal now to feed children in this artificial way. That's become the the convention. That's become the norm. And so that we've kind of forgotten that this is completely backward. This is not how we fed our children for most of human history. So anyway, I wrote this book and I was asked to be a guest on this amazing podcast. I don't know if you know it. It's called the the Rewild Yourself podcast with uh, Daniel Vitalis. Not yet, but we'll check it out. Check it out. It is not still 
current. Uh, It's just archived episodes, but it's amazing. And then it explores this idea called rewilding, which kind of put a name to everything I had been feeling, which is that environmentalism isn't just about recycling and saving the planet and doing all these things. At its core, it's about how we have disconnected from our place in nature. And how do we find our way back in this crazy, chaotic modern world that we live in today? Mm -hmm. And so that really started me down that path. I just became like obsessed with this podcast. And because everything that he said and all the guests on the show were like exactly what I had been feeling all all (laughs) along. And uh, yeah, so once I got into that, I started to think about this idea of rewilding, but from my own existence, because we live in LA. I don't live in the middle of the woods somewhere. I'm not a back to the lander. And how can I take some of those principles and bring them into my existence here in an urban environment? Do you feel that over-civilization equates with over-consumerism? Or are there other ways that you feel like reflects our over-civilization other than the consumerist mindset? Oh, yeah. I mean, basically everything we do today is over-civilizing. It's basically we've come to a point now where I think our own technologies are no longer serving us. For example, there's, you know, we t- I just mentioned my book. So we talked about the fact that infant formula arose as this great invention and, and it completely disconnected us from our human past. And now we are on this path where people in China are China, I should say, is one of the uh, has one of the lowest breastfeeding rates in the entire world. And so they're reaching a point now where because their water supplies are so polluted, they are not only buying tons and tons of formula to feed their children, but they're also buying bottled water to use it <laughs> to feed their children. And so at no point is anyone saying, OK, wait, wait a second. How can we actually change society to make it easier for women to actually nurse their children? How can we be more supportive of society so we don't have to go this path of all these insane steps of of production and and marketing and packaging and and on and on and on. Mm. So there's one example, but the funniest example I was just talking about with my husband this morning is, have you seen this ad that pops up on Instagram now for uh, the air conditioning bracelet? No, I haven't. Okay. So evidently, if you are now too hot in any environment, you no longer have to take out a sweater or take off your sweater or open a window. There is a little bracelet that's like your own (laughs) personal air conditioning unit. And the ad- it's completely serious. It shows a picture. I think it's like a grandma or or maybe it's even a, a mother with two kids, if I remember correctly. And it's like she's in a dance studio wearing a sweater, but she's really happy because she has this little personal <laughs> cooling system. I'm like, oh, boy. What have we come to? It's just I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Every I feel like every time I turn around, there's another example. I mean, I was just in Connecticut with my family and my brother's going to hate me saying this, but they have a you know, the Google Home Assistant, where they say, hey, Google, tell me what time it is. Hey, Google, what's the weather like outside? And like half the questions they ask it, I'm like, well, you could just go outside and figure out the answer. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it feels like in efforts to prop up these production and these industries, we're losing touch with our human instincts. Because, I mean, in regards to the bracelet, like our bodies are very they're able to adapt to different temperatures and it's also like good for our bodies to kind of adapt to different temperatures to support our immunity. And for the breastfeeding part, I'm like you, I was also formula fed when I was little, but uh, we're, we're learning all of these benefits 
of breastfeeding, like how the the microbiome is really important from from that experience. So I guess with this goal of trying to churn out as much economic value as possible from production, a lot of money is poured into marketing for these products as well. But no one's advocating or no one's going to profit off of us just saying, oh, we're fine just as we are. Right, exactly. So there's a lot of things going on. Well, the first is you you said it right in, in your last statement, which is you talked about the benefits of breastfeeding. Well, ben- breastfeeding isn't a benefit. Breastfeeding is the norm. And so what we're doing now is actually the detraction of the human norm. And so instead of talking about the risk and maybe how we're connecting that to all of the ills that we have in society and, and human health, we're try- we're kind of just looking for quick fixes. And so, you know, with regards to how corporations are are profiting off of that. Yeah. I mean, we're reaching a really scary point where, for instance, I just read this piece in the New York Times today about how companies are basically automate AI is kind of telling workers how they should actually interact with customers. So basically you've got like a robot at a call center telling giving humans prompts of how they could be most effective and how they can make the most money for a corporation. <laughs> and actually changing how they interact with people. And no one's second guessing it. No one's saying, well, this isn't good for the people who are working. This doesn't make people feel like they're having real human interactions. Instead, it's become all about the bottom line, which is how can we make workers more productive? How can we squeeze the most money out of these workers with no regard to their well-being? And in the end, all of these jobs are just going to be replaced by automation anyway. Mm -hmm. Because at some point you have to ask yourself, what are we working for? You know? And, and so I know I've gotten off on a really big tangent here, but I think, <laughs> I guess the point is where, where we are now is that we have evolved as human beings to interact in the world in a certain way, to move our bodies, to have real relationships with people, to live deep in human community, to actually have use manual, have manual labor be a part of our lives. And now we're just basically becoming these automatons, not because it benefits us, but because it benefits giant corporations. Well, I think very clearly there are many truths that we have to challenge today because a lot of these truths have defined our current norms of society and also have guided people's decisions and policymakers' agendas that have led us to where we are today. So to go even deeper, what are some fundamental accepted things within our modern society that you think we have to really question today? You know, I think we have to question everything, really. I think we've become so far removed from the way that we even lived 100 years ago that we're completely losing sight of things. Just to give you an example, I always use like the sunscreen example, how we've decided that the sun, which has been a part of human evolution for the past seven million years, is somehow now like poison and that we have to (laughs) slather ourselves in chemicals to protect ourselves. And and now there's all this evidence emerging that vitamin D in the, the sun is actually essential to human health and preventing us from getting cancer. And so I don't know. I feel like we just have to, we have to second guess everything, all of the conventional wisdom that it's not even wisdom, Mm. all of all the things that we've been told, you know, upon further examination, it's it's very, very backward. A lot of public perception comes from the information that we consume. And a lot of the information that we consume are being distributed by these industries that have an agenda, which is just, you know, make people believe that they need more of this stuff. 
So then people are starting to question, I guess, their own capabilities to just be and not need more stuff. Right. Well, and I think we have to remember, too, that the one thing that's driven us toward that is is having smartphones on us at all times. I mean, we've come to see them as as a convenience tool, as kind of like an extension of our brains as a source of information. And they can be. But what they've also become is a 24-7 advertising tool. Mm -hmm. And so just the mere (laughs) act of having your iPhone on or your smartphone on or being on social media, you are constantly being manipulated by companies who are looking to make money. And I know that sounds like very dystopian and, and like big brother, but really even, even a company that supposedly has a good goal is trying to make money because we live in a consumerist society. And if you think that the cor- that corporations aren't spending untold billions of dollars figuring out how to psychologically target you specifically from the information that you are giving them all of the time based on your searches and based on you're, you know, asking Alexa questions, you're wrong. Uh, They are. And so I don't know where we go from here other than that. I guess for me, the most important thing to do to step away from all of this is to put down my phone. I I know that's kind of hard in today's world. It's hard for me, but that's the real thing that I think has, has put us over the edge where we're sort of hurtling toward this dystopian sci-fi AI future. And, and it's happened really fast. And I think it's happened really quickly because I feel like the the smartphone was the tipping point. Hmm. It's kind of scary to think about. I mean, one of the things that I struggle with is I feel like so much attention is given to these platforms, these social media platforms and these social media companies, like it's their top goal to have their users be addicted. So whenever they make decisions, they they make their decisions based on what will keep the attention of their their users the longest. And the struggle that I have is I personally want to disconnect myself from all of this, but at the same time, I know that all the attention is there. So when I'm trying to get people to question all of these things, I feel like I need to be there as well to be able to have these conversations and engage people. I know. I know. It's a catch-22. And it's funny to hear you say that because I I saw your Instagram account and it's so beautiful and it looks like (laughs) you're really enjoying it. But I'm someone who really, unfortunately, sorry, everyone despises social media, but I haven't met anyone yet who's like... I really love social media. <laughs> Everyone has had to reconcile with it. Right. And yeah, we I have I have the same problem when my book when Unlatched came out. I wasn't on Instagram yet and I had to start an Instagram profile and it's, you know, was not a very intuitive format for me at first and um yeah, I struggle with it too because you feel like you have to because my publisher was saying you have to. <laughs> Obviously people are making money off of it, but I guess it depends what you do, but I think I think some of us need to question whether or not we can step away and still achieve what we want to achieve. Hmm. I don't know. I'm 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 at the point now where I'm willing to experiment with it. I've kind of stepped away from social media for a few months and I don't know. I don't know that it's doing yeah. great things for my professional life, but it's truly the happiest I've been and the most satisfied in my life probably in the past like 5 years or whenever it was that I first got my Instagram account. Hmm. And that's not to preach, by the way. Yeah, totally. No, 
I think that we all need to have this experimentation with ourselves and to discover, you know, what is that, what is actually making me happier and become the best person that I want to be. So definitely something that we all have to think about. And this is something I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard me touch on again and again, but is the questioning of what it means to progress. Because right now I feel like if progress equals destruction, self-harm, and putting our own survival and civilization at threat, then we have to question what we're progressing for, like you mentioned earlier. So with you having explored this um, explicitly as well, what do you think solidified our dominant view of progress? Like, why is it so persistent? And why are they so far away from the things that actually improve our life quality, fulfillment, and well-being, which I believe are the things that people actually want when being sold the more superficial dream of what it takes to up-level our lives. You know, it's interesting. Through this world of rewilding I've been exploring and, and the Uncivilized podcast, a lot of people would say that this started long, long before iPhones and even long, long before cars and electricity. And really when this started was the advent of agriculture. And basically it changed human societies so that all of a sudden we weren't living in these small bands of people anymore, basically just reliant on, on what we needed from the landscape and what we needed from each other. But, but we became concerned about things like progress. What, what are our crops going to be like this year? Um, now that we're all living here and we have more food, let's build some cities and, and Obviously, there are far more brilliant people in this area who have a lot to say. One one book, have you ever read the book Sapiens? Yes, one of my favorites. Yeah. So, I mean, that whole book is an examination of at what point did we become hellbent on progress and where was the tipping point? And is it something innate about Homo sapiens in general? Is Do we have some sort of gene for a ruthless pursuit of progress at the expense of planet Earth. <laughs> Crazy so, gene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, there were. it was only like some 40,000 years ago that there were five other kinds of hominid species on Earth, you know, that were related to us, and they didn't survive, and Homo sapiens did. And so maybe one of the reasons is because we have that gene. So I don't know. I mean, this is a question I ask all the time, and I'm fascinated by, and it's one of the reasons why I started the podcast, because... I don't I don't know where the tipping point was but what I do know is that where we are now seems like we're almost at the point of no return and I don't say that to sound like a big buzzkill but <laughs> but it does seem like now the technologies are taking on a life of their own especially with the introduction of artificial intelligence because it's like it's like a pandora's box once that's let out we don't there are no steps in place to actually control or govern where this is going. So I don't know. It's um, something that sometimes keeps me up at night. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. Well, to further expand on the technology and AI and automation piece, what are your thoughts on how are current trends to keep automating everything? How is this impacting or how do you see this impacting our humanity, well-being and relation to nature? That's such a great question. Well, like I said, we as human beings have evolved to be outside, to be walking miles and miles a day, to be in pursuit of our food, to be with each other. And so the more we automate things, I feel like, I mean, I'm not, it's not that I just feel like it. Science is backing this up. It's not good for our health. And so we need these interactions and we need to feel like 
we have a purpose in the world that's not just about pressing a button. <laughs> I, you know, I feel this now. In my, it's so funny because I, like you, I've always been super into environmental issues and green issues. And I live in LA and of course I have an electric car, but driving my, my new version of the electric car that I have, uh, which I won't mention, <laughs> it feels like I'm driving a computer. And really all I do is I get in there and I press a button the music blares on and sometimes it's like not even music that I wanted. It just like turns on automatically. And I know this is, sounds like a silly example, but like as much as I think that an electric car is the better choice in Los Angeles, I almost miss driving my old stick shift car because it felt good. I was actually <laughs> doing something. And that's not even about getting back to the landscape and growing my own food. That's just the simple act of moving a gear on my car actually makes me feel like a worthwhile human being. Yeah. You know, walk going for a walk in my old neighborhood, I could walk and bike everywhere. It was awesome. I, I lived right by the new um, Expo Line bike path and the Metro Line. And I would bike all the time, miles and miles to run my errands. Now I'm in an area of town that definitely feels more rustic, but I have to be in my car all the time. And I miss that simple act of walking mm -hmm. because we as human beings have evolved to walk. We've evolved to run. And and the more we automate things, the less we have those, those interactions that are not just beneficial to our human health, but pivotal to our human health. It's almost like we're automating away our humanity. Like we're not robots. And if we were to just look at the physical things that people are doing, like the what you said just popped like a really funny image in my mind of people just pressing buttons compared to back in the day when people were out in nature, like smelling, like what does the scent mean? Like what animals are nearby? What food is water close to this area? Like they had to be really attuned to their senses and have a lot of also complex knowledge to understand the land and understand what is going on in their environment as well. So that's just... An interesting way to, I guess, also question what it means to be more primitive versus advanced and what it's leading us to do. Right, right, exactly. Because if you look at so-called quote unquote primitive cultures, I mean, they were far more advanced in terms of how they interacted with the natural world around them. Whereas now, right, we've created all this amazing technology, but we're not actually doing anything. It's it's like we're becoming a Wally world. It's really <laughs> sometimes, I mean, my kids have seen that movie and, and they get it. They look mm -hmm. around them and it's like, whoa, what are we, what are we going toward? Yeah. And one of the arguments I would assume that proponents of continued automation would say is that it'll free up more time for us and it maybe also lead to lower costs and prices of many of our products. So what is your take on that? Right. Well, that ties into what we were talking about before, which is that ultimately who is benefiting here and who's benefiting here are corporations making money for their shareholders and, you know, improving their bottom line. And so there's, I don't even think there's a lot to say there other than that. It's really spiraling out of control because what's happening is you're getting these corporations and you're getting people who have so much money now who are benefiting from all these technological innovations and improving productivity. And, and they're becoming richer and richer and richer just by how wealth increases. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess the big question I always ask is like, who is really winning here? And where is advancement taking us? <laughs> right. And also we have the ability to question it too. I, what's so amazing is that, for instance, I was reading recently about how there are companies now microchipping their workers so that they <laughs> no longer, <laughs> have you read of it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's actually really happening. This isn't something sci-fi 
so that they don't have to use a punch card and they don't have to check in and out for lunch. And they are actually letting themselves be implanted with a microchip about the size of a grain of rice that monitors their movement. But many of the workers, this was the most astounding thing. Many of the workers when interviewed actually see this as a great thing because it's convenient. Mm -hmm. And so they just, they don't have to punch their time cards anymore and they don't have to check in with their boss and say where they're going. And so I think it's a powerful reminder that yes, corporations are benefiting from this. They're making untold billions, trillions of dollars, but we also are complicit. So at any point, we, we don't have to accept that we have this dystopian future where we're going to become robots or taken over <laughs> by robots. We have the choice. I mean, people can say, I don't, I don't want to live this way. And there is a level of personal responsibility here. And also I find that very freeing that like, we don't have to go down this road necessarily, or mm -hmm. at least if the, what humanity is going down this road, then I don't. And there are a growing number of people like you and like your listeners who want to question everything. And I want to explore how we can live more aligned with, with the human beings, like right. actual human beings that we always were. Well, I guess maybe the scary thought is, what if the majority of the people, what if we're the minority and the majority of the people actually want to go down the path of automation? Well, I, I actually believe that that's what's going to happen. Do uh. you? I don't, I, I, that's the way I see it going. I mean, we've got 7 billion people on the planet and a lot of people, people have to eat. We are in this industrial civilization loop that you actually have to step outside the system to not be a part of it. So I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, I, I yeah. kind of see it going that path. <laughs> I do see it going down this path, which is the scariest part is that it very likely will happen. Yeah. I, I, I do believe that is happening, but I will also say that we've got a lot of other things going on, one of which is climate change and that the environment and the world is changing in a way that this is not sustainable. So we're not, we are not going to keep marching toward automation and productivity and lots of money and everyone's happy and everyone has food to eat. And I mean, we are looking at a future where in the next 10 to 20 years, we're already seeing it. I mean, look what happened in California with the wildfires mm. this past season. And so humanity is changing, but also what we've done to the world is resulting in a planet that's changing. And um, I don't know how it's all going to play out, but what's happening isn't going to go on forever. Mm. People often say that it's really not about saving the planet because the planet will be here. The Nature has its own way of operating its own checks and balances to keep things in balance when things are out of whack. Uh, it's really about saving our own civilization at this point. I agree with that 100%. 100%. I remember when I was a kid, I read a book called <laughs> 50 Simple Things You Can Do to Help Save the Earth. Do you remember? You're, you're probably too young for that book. <laughs> but that was like one of my big things that another thing that started me toward the path of environmentalism. But I remember pretty soon after that coming to the realization, like, wait a second, the earth is going to be fine. Well, I don't know about fine, but the earth will persist. Mm. And it is, it's truly is at this point about preserving, if not civilization, then, then the human species. And I know that sounds doomsday. Um, <laughs> I'm actually a really positive person, believe yes. it or not. Well, let's go but down I, the other way. Yeah. So looking yeah. ahead, in an article that you wrote in Huffington Post in 2013, you picture two possible future Earths. The first one is just kind of like a wasteland, and the second one is the world as it could be, a world where mankind's ingenuity brings us 
not just beyond the industrial era, but into one of shining innovation, a world where man against nature evolves into man with nature, a world where the clean energy technologies we've developed are so sophisticated that we not only halt our ecosystem destruction, but bring our ecosystems back into balance, end quote. So to go on the positive note of what could be, can you Take us a little further uh, in illustrating this vision. And also, what do you think we need most to be able to realize this? Okay. Nothing like being quoted yourself. I <laughs> remember <laughs> writing that, but um, it's interesting. I, I've had a real evolution in thought since I wrote that. Mm. I think at that point in time, I had very much bought into this idea that we could somehow uh, technologize our way out of this. Like We could keep consuming at the rate that we're consuming and somehow just have it all uh, be funded with clean energy, you know, and, and I hadn't really taken a look yet at how the very, the very foundation of an industrial society is not compatible with a prosperous life on earth. But okay, here's the, that's a bad, (laughs) bad part, but here's the good news. I really think, yes, alternative energy is great. Yes. We, of course we have to try going down that path, but I really think we could foresee a future where, there has been a complete shift in mindset and we have actually overthrown in a sense industrial society if what we're seeing now is a collapse of industrial society i know a lot of people don't want to believe that but i believe that that is what we're seeing there may be something beyond it where we actually look to our human history we look toward what were the best things that worked about more ancient societies uh hunter gatherer societies what are those things that we can mimic in the modern world and and I think there are all sorts of really fascinating things that people are doing as they're becoming aware about how we can't keep going down this path that that are showing a lot of hope. One of which is this idea of, and this is just a small thing. I mean, this isn't going to change the world, but one thing is co-housing. Have you heard about co-housing? Yeah. Right. So people are now living in cities and they're deciding, I don't want to live in a huge house anymore. I don't want to consume all of these materials. And I miss... I may not have my real family around me, but I want to recreate the family dynamic and the village dynamic that that is so essential to our human well-being. And they're living in these very small, tight-knit communities that consume, they have a much smaller footprint than any other you know, way of living that we've probably known for the past 100 years in American society. And And so maybe we could live in a world where people are living in like these densely populated little eco-villages and we're in cities and we've left a lot of land to conservation. I mean, there are all sorts of possibilities. And so, you know, I definitely have my hopeful days. And (laughs) and the more I interview people who are working on whatever it is that inspires them, the more hopeful I am. You know, I think there is a path where we where we reconcile the fact that we need to restore this connection to the natural world. Mm. We're not going to be able to sustain life on earth by living in some little industrial bubble and letting everything else exist. And to close, what do you think we as individuals can do to really liberate our collective humanity from the current system and the current industrialization and also spark a societal shift so that progress can truly reflect what will improve our life quality, well-being and human fulfillment? I think if you look at trying to change society, it's it's overwhelming. I mean, there is just so much to confront. I I personally feel like you have to find your own source of inspiration. And, and now is the time to really ask yourself, if you care about 
anything that we've been talking about today or any, you know, everything that people listen to on your podcast to ask yourself, what's that one small area that I can work on? I really do believe that, yes, we have to work on, on changing government policy and all of those big picture things. But if your inspiration is running for office, then, then go ahead and do it. If your inspiration is being a biodynamic farmer, then do that. I think everyone needs to really think about how they can contribute something meaningful in maybe a small way, because I really do think that those small changes, I don't know if at this point we have the capability to shift all of human society, but I think, I think we have to, we have to try. Have you downloaded the Buns app yet that I've been telling you about? Besides the fact that we can meet like-minded people near us and trade things like clothing, art, furniture, or plants through the app, we can also earn its currency called bits. So if someone wants an item that you've posted but you don't want anything they have so you can't trade, you can also accept bits coins instead. There are also daily short surveys that you can take from within the app that will also allow you to earn bits. With this currency, you can then go on to purchase things that you want from other people or you can spend it at an increasing number of real-life local partnering businesses. So the more people we have on this free app, the more powerful we'll be in establishing communities of trade and also in getting more local businesses to accept our bids coins. To check it out and join the fun, just search for Buns in the App Store and hit download. And here's a pro tip. Share Buns with your friends through the app and for every friend that signs up, they'll earn 100 bits and you'll also earn 100 bits as well. See you there soon and for now, now to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow? I'm off social media right now, but before that, I loved, there's an account called Wilder Waters. It's the account of Arthur Haynes and his, uh, it's, if you want to know about the world of rewilding, follow this account. It's really cool. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? Uh, just what I said before, just to stop thinking about myself and our own impending doom and to just be of service. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? Walking more. Ever since I did an interview with an evolutionary biologist who talked about how the Hadza hunter-gatherers walk like 20,000 steps a day, I've been (laughs) really, really trying to, that's like my goal to try to do that for the next few months. What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably? I'm obsessed with zero waste. I've always been obsessed with zero waste. And so I'm just working a little bit harder on it. It's hard where I'm where I live now to shop that way, but I'm I'm really trying to put in the effort. What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? I don't know. I have I have two beautiful young girls and I just I just have to look at them and just think that there has to be a way forward. Well, this has been truly a really thought-provoking conversation, so we would, of course, love to keep learning from you. Where can we go to follow and support your work online? Thank you so much. Uh, you can follow all of my work at jennifergrayson.com. My book, Unlatched, is available uh, where all books are sold. I'm not going to name the big one. <laughs> <laughs> so go support your local bookstore. Uh, and the Uncivilized podcast is on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher Radio. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Oh, just to try to think about your calling and to really find, like I said before, your your small little area of the world where you that you feel passionate about, where you can really feel hopeful and, and try to make a difference. 
Green Dreamer, thank you so much for being here and for tuning in. Again, to access my weekly takeaways and suggested action steps to use from each episode, you can join me on Patreon at greendreamer.com support. Green Dreamer is an independent multimedia platform, and I'd like to keep it this way, so I just wanted to thank you sincerely to our patrons. Every bit helps, and I do really, really appreciate it. And thank you as well if you've gotten to share Green Dreamer with friends or write a review of what you're enjoying in the podcast app. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe, and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.